Hi, this is Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 38 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show where I discuss all that's new and neat with clarinet, with the neatest people in the industry. Today, I speak with Joel Jaffe, who is the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Bakun Musical Services. Joel has helped to lead the company through its most explosive periods of growth and is also the driving force behind the new Clarinet News magazine and the upcoming Bakun International Clarinet Competition, both which are the focus of today's episode. The giveaway for today's episode is four copies of the gorgeous, new, and informative Clarinet News magazine, as well as four Bakun notepads which feature a little fingering diagram builder on them that's super handy. Don't forget, last week Bakun is also giving away a brand new alpha clarinet worth 1075 US dollars. To make sure you're eligible to win this and other items mentioned on the podcast, please be sure to head to www.clarinet.com and subscribe with your email address to our mailing list. Today's episode was brought to you by Dedaria Woodwinds. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, Diderio is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques, so you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from Diderio Woodwinds, visit diderio.com woodwinds. So today I'm here with Joel Jaffe, who is the VP of Sales and Marketing at Bakun Musical Services. Joel, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. Sean, thank you very much for having me. So, of course, like I was saying to Maury last week, I had the chance to come out and tour the Bakun facility, which was just fantastic, um, to see what it's like in person. Um, but for those who don't know, would you walk us through a typical day for you at the office? Well, there is no such thing as a typical day for me in the office because of my travel schedule. Uh, I travel approximately 100 to 120 days a year. Wow. Uh, so for me, when I'm in the office, I'm usually in very early before any of the staff, around 6.30, 6.45 a.m. Pacific Standard Time in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, I will go in and answer some emails, um, take a look at stock, make sure that everything's in line with uh, the production teams and the assembly teams. And uh, then basically it's just meetings and phone calls and emails, working with artists, um, so I'll try and arrange my schedule depending on who's visiting, such as when you visited, um, carving out some time to sit down with people, have lunch, etc. cetera. Uh, and then again, just working around different things that are necessary, whether it's a marketing uh, project that we have, an event that we have coming up. Uh, we have several teams in the company that I work with, um, not only our administration team, but a few people that help with marketing, a few people that help with sales. Uh, and it's just coordinating that and putting out fires as necessary. So I must have caught a very rare day to be there with both you and Maury at the same time on site. Indeed. Uh, Maury and I don't travel as much together as we used to. Um, a lot of the time Maury's working on very high-level stuff um, with regards to product development or working with artists who are coming in to visit, tweaking their instruments or even prototyping uh, with a number of our artists that come in. When it's necessary, I will have meetings with him, but otherwise I'm usually off doing my own thing. Um, my responsibility as uh, VP of Sales and Marketing are global sales and all of the marketing for the company. So um, if I'm not making sales, I'm usually doing administration work or marketing. So what, any travel tips? I mean, most people don't travel that, that much. There must be a few sort of tricks up your sleeve. Uh, yeah, there are a few. I tend to be very loyal when it comes to airlines. Um, I'm an Air Canada super elite member, but that's just a function of me flying so much. 
Um, never, ever, ever check your bags. That's what I would say. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've heard friends, even Morty several times has lost his bags. Um, and it's just been a nightmare trying to and get clothes or figure something else out. So I always, I have a rule when I say pack light, pack tight, pack right. I have a Tumi suitcase, fit everything in there. I can travel for three weeks um, on that suitcase alone. And then the final thing is uh, have lots of water, get lots of rest, and use Bose headphones, anything with really good noise-canceling technology. Yeah, the isolation or cancellation, whatever you prefer, is so important on airplanes. Absolutely. So as far as the not checking the bags, though, um, what about when you go to conferences and stuff? You must have to check some of the, the clarinet equipment, or is there a way to get around that for you guys? Normally for us, what we do is we actually ship all of the products out and um, all of the conference materials well in advance. Um, so as I mentioned, having the meetings with our teams, um, every Monday or Tuesday morning, we have a marketing and events meeting where we're planning um, a week out, three months out, a year out, where we have to be, the schedules, the flights, who's going to pack the bags, making sure that all of the products are going to get there well in advance. Because we live in Canada um, and we travel a lot to the United States and international areas uh, and territories, we really can't carry products across borders. It's quite painful. Um, I've been stuck many, many times in the past trying to explain to Korean customs why I have 15 clarinets with me. Um, it's, <laughs> so it's not the easiest thing. So we just take advantage of our relationship with FedEx um, and uh, relax It's FedEx, we, and they just get it there for us. So that's pretty much how we roll when we land. Bags are ready to go, or the, the cases. Uh, you might have seen those giant flight cases. We have those huge Pelican or Nanook cases mm -hmm. that you can drive tanks over. Um, we keep all the clarinets in there and ship them back and forth. And the team are they're so well versed in how we travel. They include all of the return address labels inside the cases. So Maury or I or any of the staff don't have to do much work. We don't have to call anybody for pickup. We just leave it at the facility or the hotel. And FedEx comes the next day, picks it up, and sh ships it right back to the shop. So that level of incredible organization, um, I talked to Maury about that this morning too. I mean, why is a company are you guys so passionate about cleanliness and organization to this sort of taking it to the nth degree like that? Well, I think that it's a form of function. Uh, we like to be efficient uh, with our time, with our resources. Um, it's also respect for the instruments and the artists who play our products. I think that if your shop or um, your manufacturing area is not clean and not organized, it's a reflection of your respect and appreciation for the products that you make. Um, and certainly when you were walking through the shop, uh, and I call it the shop, it's a manufacturing facility, but I have this mentality from 16 years ago when Maury and I were grinding it out on a lathe making these barrels. So I still call it the shop. I apologize for that. But for us, it's, it's really just a function of the appreciation and the gratitude. Um, and our staff have really taken that on as part of our culture. Um, the benches are incredibly clean in the manufacturing uh, and assembly areas. Um, and it runs all the way from the bottom of the company to the top and, and all sides and everybody in between. So very much a function of how we do things. Um, and again, it's just the teams taking pride in their work and making sure that everything is done right. So speaking of organized, gorgeous things, um, you recently spearheaded a new Bakun magazine called Clarinet News that debuted actually at Clarinet Fest 2016. Um, and I remember actually I was packing the bags as a volunteer at the festival and we started, <laughs> we opened, we opened these boxes up and all of a sudden, you know, amongst all the pamphlets, there was this gorgeous magazines, which everyone was getting. 
Um, what was the inspiration for this magazine? Um, the inspiration came from several places. Um, as marketing is part of my responsibility uh, within the company, my goal is to promote our artists. That magazine was very much not a function of promoting Bakun or promoting the product. It's not a sell sheet. It's not a catalog for Bakun. It's about promoting the artists and sharing our love and appreciation for them. Um, in the industry, I just wasn't feeling that there was a lot of promotion of the Bakun artists out there. And it was something that a lot of them had talked about um, and had said, you know, what, what are we going to do and how can we get their message out there? How can we get their stories out there? And uh, finally, I just said, you know what, let's just do it ourselves. So um, I actually contacted Kim Worker, who is um, a friend in, in the community. And uh, I called her and I said, look, I, I'd like you to come into the shop and just have a chat with me. She's a, a very well-known published author. And, um, and I, when she came in, I gave her a tour, much like I did with you. And I said, look, I'd like you to help me make a magazine. And she said, are you, are you kidding? And I said, no, not at <laughs> all. And actually, we didn't tell Maury, uh, or I didn't tell Maury for three months. Maury had no idea that we were doing this. Um, not because I keep things from him, but he's got other things that he's working on, and I needed to completely vet the idea. So I basically ran it just top to bottom with all the artists, with Kim, talked to printers, talked to my designer, Warren, whom I'm very close with. And I said, look, here's the thought. Are you all on board? And every single artist came to the table. And so the idea was, with Clarinet Fest coming, we were going to focus and, and highlight all of the Bakun artists that were performing at Clarinet Fest. So if you looked at the actual magazine, the number of articles in there reflect the performing artists of Bakun who were there. Yeah, let me just flip through for listeners for a second. So on the front here, we've got a gorgeous picture of uh, probably MOBA Super Series clarinets. Is that correct? Indeed. And then we've got this sort of uh, embossed gold print on the front and back, which we'll talk about the back in a minute. Um, <laughs> but then we've got this article by uh, about Eddie Daniels. Um, Ron Odrich is in there. Um, there's one on, uh, where'd it go? Bill Jackson. He's talking a little bit in here. There's some stuff about Wes Foster, who is, uh, of course, that's the first bear. That's a whole podcast in itself. We should do some other time, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, lots of great stuff in here. I think I just said Bill Jackson, uh, Ricardo Morales, of course, you know, and more and more and more. It's just great stuff in here. H how was it, uh, as far as the writing goes, like, how was it putting all that together? Um, uh, it was interesting. I will be honest, uh, and tell you that I definitely bit off more than I could chew, uh, in the end of the project, um, I assumed that we were just going to write some articles and just throw it all together and Warren was going to design it and it was going to be great. And without having Kim there, who's just such an experienced editor, um, she's done it for many years and, and she's so well known in the community, uh, in the writing community, she really well versed me in all of the things we had to do, such as working with proofreaders and copywriters and um, all of the content ideas that we had to trim down and page numbers. Uh, it, was, it was really fascinating and I'm truly grateful for her help, uh, but also the artists. I mean, for example, Eddie Daniels, uh, I just, I said to Eddie, look, we, we want to do this article. Kim's going to interview you. And he's like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Give him my number. So Kim set it up and she did a Skype interview. And all of a sudden that whole Skype interview was just Eddie in this monologue and we edit it slightly and that's the the article 
And it's if you know Eddie Daniels, that's as close to knowing Eddie as you can possibly get without meeting him in person. Exactly. Yeah, I, was so ha- I was so happy to have the chance to meet him in person actually at the festival. We got to try and get him on the podcast here. He's, fa- he's fascinating. I mean, Eddie is truly one of a kind. Um, he's been a fabulous supporter of ours. Um, but he's just so genuine and he's so gifted. Uh, gifted not only in the clarinet, but in the flute, in the saxophone. I don't know if you know that he has a solo trombone album. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. <laughs> Sorry, trombone? He does. <laughs> I did not with, know that. With the Thad Jones band, absolutely. He's playing the trombone? He plays the trombone. There's a wicked story that goes with that. Yeah. I will definitely work to get him on this podcast for you because to tell that story, to hear it, is just hilarious. I do love his the way his article opens too when he's talking about, I'm not a doubler because the word doubler is somehow negative as if you're a ja- jack of all trades. I play several instruments. <laughs> I play the saxophone, the flute, and the clarinet. And it's it's I like that because in, in some ways I think a lot of people can identify that. They don't want to be viewed that way and I don't know it's an interesting concept to me absolutely I could not agree more so I mean for those of us who are lucky to be at clarinet fest we got to have a copy of this um as part of our membership fees or uh festival fees and um but what if someone wants to get a copy of this is it available digitally online or can you order one or I mean it's a 70 page book it's something that a lot of people might want to have on their shelf yeah, it's a magnum opus. I mean, you referenced at the very beginning the quality of it. Uh, much like with our clarinets and our products and the marketing that we do, um, everything we try and do is first class. So we didn't spare any expense in printing this. It's printed on 100-pound paper uh, with the, the gold embossing. It's extremely high quality. Uh, it weighs about a ton uh, to pick it up. Um, yeah. Certainly, we'd be happy to send some to um, to anybody who w- would like copies. All they have to do is email us. They can email me personally, joel at bakunmusical.com. They can email editor at clarinetnews.com if they'd like hard copies. We'd be happy to mail them out. All we ask is that people pay the cost of shipping for the copy. We're not selling it. We're not trying to make money on it. That's not the goal. It's just to share the, the artists and their stories. However, we also have a website, which is clarinetnews.com. And on the, I believe it's the homepage, uh, there's a download button. And they can literally download a PDF, read it on their iPad or their Kindle or their computer. Um, And I know that there have been a lot of international artists um, and friends and colleagues who have downloaded it and read it. Um, So, yeah, that's how they can get it. So you've got a Kindle version? Uh, Pseudo. Sort of. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we had it formatted uh, for readability on, um, on PDF readers or e-readers. Um, I haven't done the, the flipbook or any kind of specialized modified app for it, um, although we've thought about it. Well, you know what? I wonder if that's something I could put a link to that everyone could have a chance to, to download and have a look at. Is that, is that possible on the website? Absolutely. I can send that to you shortly. Yeah, no. And, and again, I mean, this is something that just to give a testament to the material and the, the the article quality in here when I'm done with this interview it's going to go in the reference book section on my shelf and it will stay there for a long time <laughs> it's I just it's, it's worth keeping it's there's a lot of great stuff I mean I want to come back to that article with Eddie and and uh and everything so yeah again fantastic work thank you well I mean the the goal for for this was was not only to tell the story of the artist but really not to um we, we didn't want to 
trim things away. We didn't want to um, to tidy things up. We wanted to show the artists as they are or as they were. Um, some of the things in the magazine are very provocative. There are a few um, articles that really uh, some people, I think, might look at and say, wow, that, that's, that's edgy. I know London Silas Shavers, in his article um, on running a successful studio, he says some things about you know, what it takes to be a successful private school or private studio teacher um, that a lot of people didn't really look kindly on. He, you know, he talks about teachers teaching um, and, and treating students as cash cows. And we published that. We didn't edit that out. And I think that that's a testament to the community and their collective intelligence to, to really just take that on and accept it. Well, you let these people find their voice in, the, in text. Exactly. Exactly. So is there any plan for this? Because this focused, as you said, this was kind of a, I don't want to call it a supplement to Clarinet Fest, but it was based around Clarinet Fest. Um, are there plans in the future to have a version that's uh, expanding out into other members of the clarinet community, or is it going to stay focused on Bakun artists? Um, certainly, I'd like to um, continue focusing on Bakun artists, but not on Bakun artists only. Uh, the goal is to branch out into the community. There are so many phenomenal artists out there um, who currently don't play our products, um, or I should say don't play our clarinets. Um, for example, James Campbell at Indiana University, he's somebody who I'd certainly love to approach. Uh, we worked with, with Jim years ago uh, when he was playing our barrels at the very infancy of Bakun. Um, and he certainly is not playing our clarinets right now, uh, but I think he's got unbelievable stories to tell. Um, so there are many, many, many artists out there that I'd certainly love to work with. Um, and I think that that's the goal. We're working on our next issue, which is slated to drop in February, uh, just before the competition, which we'll talk about in a little while. And uh, we're already working on the articles for that now. Most of the articles are already set, um, and the artists, for the most part, are already in interviews or engagement with Kim. So what's the release schedule looking like? I mean, this one was August or late July, I guess. No, early August, right? Uh, well, it's called Fall 2016, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so so. One, it started almost a year ago where we are today, uh, just at the very, very end of September, beginning of October. Um, and that took us all the way through till Clarinet Fest, first week of August. This plan, we're accelerating it a little bit faster because I know how to work with Kim. She knows how to work with me. And I'm not going to do as much of the heavy lifting as I did on this one. Um, it was a gargantuan task, as I mentioned earlier. I mean, thank God my wife is still with me and my kids tolerated the crazy late nights. Um, it was just a labor of love. So certainly we're going to turn it into something more reasonable. I can't say it's going to be quarterly yet, uh, but... The next issue for February will be in advance of the Bakun competition um, and we'll sort of parlay into the competition and how we uh, present that and present the competitors and the artists. Is there anything we can have a little sneak peek into? Or? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I can tell you certainly one of the articles that I think is going to be absolutely fascinating um, is going to be on Corrado Giafredi and the new Italian school. Um, as we know, the, the Italian school of clarinet playing uh, is extremely traditional. Uh, but if you've ever seen Corrado play, he's probably the most untraditional of players because he is so experienced and so fluid in classical music as well as klezmer and so many different genres. 
Um, so we're going to work an article with him and his students, understanding how he guides them and how he's guiding clarinet in Italy. And the goal is actually to have a split page article. So it's going to be half in Italian on one side and the other half is going to be in English. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. Very cool. So yeah, I think this is something definitely people should should check out. Um, but we almost, we can't forget the last page here. The very last, <laughs> the back cover, there's a rather um, intriguing little ad here you guys have put for a $15,000 USD cash prize. And I am reading that, correct? That's $15,000 um, to go with a competition that you guys are putting on. Maybe you could tell me more about it. So... This competition, uh, which we've titled the Bakun International Clarinet Competition, um, was a pet project that I've been working on for some time. Um, initially, what we were going to do was something called the Legacy Project, which is another um, marketing project that I've been working on, which is a recording project, um, which I've discussed with you in the past and a few other Bakun artists, um, in basically doing recording projects and getting them out there in the world because as we know the recording industry is is somewhat shrinking when it comes to classical music which I think is a shame um, and I'm certainly a huge fan of, of classical music and classical recordings but CBC isn't what it once was and other performing companies aren't investing uh, the amount of money in performing recordings live recordings etc so that was originally what we were going to do, um, and it was a two- to four-year project. Uh, and in talking with somebody in the industry, the discussion of competitions came up and how it's been years since there was an edge-of-your-seat competition where the people on stage that were competing were at the highest level of their work. Uh, and I thought about it, and I thought, you know, with, with Bakun, with the brand that we have, with the artists that we work with, um, I think that we could pull something off that would be captivating. Uh, so I started talking with certain people, I talked with Maury, talked with Bill Jackson, uh, who is uh, a, a very dear friend. Uh, Bill came back to the company, he was an artist uh, of ours playing our accessories years ago, uh, and about a year and a half ago came back uh, to Bakun playing our clarinets. And he's on faculty at Vanderbilt University. They have the Blair School of Music, which is a truly outstanding school, only undergraduates, probably one of the strongest um, supported resourced schools in the United States. And I say that because of just the finances that they have, the performing venues that they have are, are almost unparalleled. Um, so I talked to Bill and I said, look, I'm thinking about this competition. And he said, well, maybe we could do it at the Blair School. So I flew down to Nashville and I met with the dean and I met with him and I made my pitch and the dean said, yeah, you know what, we can support this. And so Bill and I started working and I called Richard Hawkins, who's a Bakun artist, and I said, Richard, I'd love for you to, to be the chief judge for this because you are so unbiased in what you say. Um, and he's just so convincing. He's such an exceptional artist and truly he's one of the greatest clarinet teachers, I think, of this generation of, of young artists. If you look at the, the people that he's taught, Anthony McGill, Boris Alexanderian, Ben Lulich, Michael Wayne, I mean, Richard just ha has had an unbelievable studio, not only at Interlochen, but at Oberlin. So I said, look, I'd like you to do this. And Richard stopped me and he said, look, I'm, I'm honored, Joel, but you have to know that in doing this competition, 
this is going to be about artistry. This is not going to be about technical facility. I don't care how fast or how high they play. It's about the artistry and the music making. And I said, this is your competition to run. You choose the judges. You choose the repertoire. I'm going to support it as best I can with Bakun. And then we'll work with Bill to present concerts and master classes around the competition for everybody to attend. And that's how it came to be. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fantastic. Um, sorry, I'm not sure if I'm making you repeat yourself here, but it, who's eligible to, to compete? So we have settled on two age groups. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to fund the $15,000 cash prize. That's coming from Bakun. The interesting thing is in, in announcing this competition, there have been a lot of people that have, have come up and expressed concerns over potential um, it biases because we do manufacture instruments. Um, and giving cash as opposed to giving instruments. The important thing is I didn't want to give instruments away. I wanted people to have the cash, earn it, and buy whatever instrument they feel is right. Hopefully we make a compelling case for ours. So what we did is we, we wanted to give everybody an opportunity within a certain realm. We can't just say one specific age group. So what we did is we started with what we call the young artists. That's the 19 to 30 year old age range. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we think is is representative of the next generation of artists. Certainly, there are going to be people who are 31 years old who are absolutely profound um, and should have an opportunity, but we have to cap it somewhere. Mm-hmm. So um, it was determined that it was going to be 19 to 30. That's the young artist. Interestingly, um, I had pitched the idea of adding a junior uh, realm. And the reason is that years ago, um, in the infancy of Bakun, we had the opportunity to work with Julian Bliss and a few other very young um, hotshot artists, Mm -hmm. uh, just exceptional, fabulous musicians. And I remember watching these videos of these young kids and, and how fabulous they were. And I thought, you know, we need to offer those students, those youngsters, something. Um, And another reason was that um, as the VP of Sales and Marketing at Bakun, I often get a lot of requests from teachers and from parents uh, for scholarship money, help my kid go to this school, do you have a scholarship for this, do you, can you provide financing or funding for this? Um, and we really haven't been able to do that in the past um, until where we are today. So in speaking with Bill and, and Richard, we came up with a junior artist uh, stream for the competition, and that is up to the age of 18. We could have capped it and said 13 to 18, but what happens if there's this 11-year-old who's living in a town that we've never heard of and who's just unbelievable, and this kid comes up on stage and just plays a Mozart like nobody's ever heard? Mm -hmm. We want to meet those people. So we came up with the second stream. So it's up to the age of 18 for junior artists, 19 to 30 for the young artist uh, competition. And then again, $15,000 cash prize overall. There are going to actually be additional prizes and scholarships added in, but those haven't been published yet. And it's something that um, it could be any genre or is it just classical for this type of thing? It is classical. There is a very specific repertoire list um, that is going to be published very shortly Uh, uh, with the rules. Um, the, The team that put the actual repertoire list together uh, is David Schifrin, Bill Jackson, and Richard Hawkins. I think three exceptional teachers and exceptional artists. Uh, 
what I'm very proud to say is that um, the judges for the competition, there are actually five judges approximately, give or take, we're, we're working on the final numbers right now, but give or take five judges uh, for each group of, um, of the young artists and then the junior artists. Um, many of the judges are not Bakun artists. Um, we wanted to really open it up and invite many of the well-known players and educators, soloists, um, orchestral musicians to be on the committees. So we actually have four different judging committees, two each uh, for the preliminary rounds, which are going to be videoed um, and submitted on Decision Desk, uh, which is an online vetting application process platform that many of the universities use for auditions. Mm -hmm. um, and that will be a separate group of approximately five judges each. Um, and then there are the actual live rounds. So in Vanderbilt, uh, once the people are invited, the, um, the auditionees or the competitors are invited uh, that pass through to the live rounds, there are going to be the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and then the finals in Nashville that are going to be judged with a live panel of separate judges who weren't the preliminary judge before. Wow. Well, it sounds the whole idea is just super exciting. And uh, is this the biggest prize in the clarinet community right now? That I know of, it is. Um, I know that there's, uh, there are some other wonderful um, competitions out there. Uh, but I believe that for total prize, I believe it's one of the largest. Wow. So if you're listening, man, you're under 30, it's time to start practicing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know what? And that includes me because I turned 31 on May 8th. So I should... Uh, <laughs> I should consider, but um, yeah, amazing. I will say with the competition, the goal is to make it a, a clarinet event, not just a competition. So what we're actually doing is we're going to have a number of master classes. Uh, there are also going to be performances each day. So each day we'll have a morning or afternoon recital uh, with internationally renowned artists and then an evening gala concert. Um, for each of the three nights. So this is from March 9th to 11th, uh, 2017 in Nashville um, at the Vanderbilt um, Blair School of Music. Uh, and so what we're going to do is we're going to be having the master classes each day. There are going to be the recitals each day. Uh, and then there are also, I'm very, very, very excited to say, there are going to be a number of very intelligent and stimulating lectures that I think people will definitely benefit from. Mike Thornton, who's a renowned performance psychology professional and professional musician is going to be presenting a series of lectures based on how to prepare for auditions, how to prepare for competitions, how to prepare for main real like life-changing performances, um, how to deal with stage fright, how to practice, how to psych yourself up uh, to play your instrument. And Bill Jackson is uh, a colleague of his from Colorado and Bill came to me and said look I, I think that this would really benefit the participants so we engaged Mike uh, we've also engaged the Vanderbilt string quartet uh, that's um, in residence at the Blair School to play with the artists in addition to some fabulous performers who are going to be there David Schifrin's performing one of the evening concerts Ricardo Morales is going to be there Karada Giafredi and several of his colleagues um, are flying in from Italy uh, we have a number of artists from Asia, uh, from China, from Singapore, Korea, Japan that are going to be there, uh, Taiwan. So I think it's going to be a very convincing um, event 
for everybody to attend, and hopefully people will get something out of it, in addition to watching these young competitors out on stage competing for this money. Absolutely. I'm just thinking, even if I can't find a way to compete successfully, I should still, <laughs> I should still try and come down and follow the event. That'd be pretty cool. So. That's, uh, that's the goal. We're going to make the, um, the registration fees very reasonable um, and accessible to people. And in choosing Vanderbilt and choosing Nashville, it is a place that's fairly accessible. It's close to the East Coast, but it's a major airport um, that people can fly into. So we're really working to uh, get hotel bookings and get that all settled. I think it's, uh, it's going to be a game-changing event for uh, the clarinet community. Absolutely. So while you guys are setting the bar for instrument manufacture and uh, clarinet news publications and uh, competitions, we're also about to set a new record on clarinet here. And uh, this will be the most exciting giveaway yet. We're, you guys are so generous as to offer a Bakun Alpha clarinet. What, what could you tell me about this instrument and, and what do you have to say to the person who wins it? So I will say, um, interestingly, the Bakun Alpha is um, what some would term our student or synthetic clarinet. It was actually developed by Maury several years ago as a synthetic clarinet for our artists to play outdoor concerts with. Um, it's a complete composite clarinet, so um, there aren't wood particles in it. Um, and the idea was basically to allow artists to perform in colder temperatures, in hotter temperatures, marching bands, etc. Um, and a number of our artists, including Eugene Monty, who's acting principal in the National Symphony Orchestra um, in Washington, D.C., he recently played it in his uh, summer concert series at Wolf Trap. Um, so certainly it's, uh, it's a great instrument, um, and I think it will be a very uh, compelling gift, um, or prize, I should say, uh, for the winner. Absolutely. No, it's a very, very exciting one. And, and uh, so if you'd like the chance to win that and other prizes mentioned on the podcast, be sure to go to www.clarineat.com and subscribe to our email mailing list. Um, one thing I almost forgot is when I was out there, I also got four copies of Clarinet News, four little uh, uh, notepad books, and uh, some full-size clarinet um, folding wall poster type things. So the runner-up prize for four people will be a copy of this gorgeous Clarinet News magazine. Wonderful. Perfect. So thanks so much for coming on the show today. Is there anything else you'd like to say to the audience before we wrap up, Joel? Sean, I just want to thank you for your time and for your vision for what you're doing for the community. I think um, you're really a leader. You're getting out there. You're getting people engaged in the clarinet community. You're interviewing people. Uh, you're talking about all different genres, all different companies, different brands, different performers. And I think that that's what this community, uh, what the, the music industry needs. So thank you. Oh, thanks, Joel. That means, that means a lot. I hope we can continue to work together into the future. Indeed. I look forward to it as well. For a chance to win one of four copies of the gorgeous Clarinet News magazine mentioned in today's episode, make sure to head to clarinet.com and subscribe with your email address to our mailing list. You'll also receive free content updates, exclusive coupons, and more right to your inbox. If you're enjoying the show, 
please consider leaving a positive rating and review on iTunes. And if you'd like to support it directly, consider purchasing your new and neat clarinet items at the Clarinet online store or by becoming a backer on Patreon. Special thanks this week to our latest backer, Marie. Today's episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Dedaria Woodwinds. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, D'Addario is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques, so you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from D'Addario Woodwinds, visit daddario.com woodwinds.